Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Pop Culture Rx is where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these newsworthy conditions. This is Pop Culture Rx. June is Men's Health Awareness Month, and sometimes the biggest obstacle is men themselves. I'm here today with Dr. Michael Stifelman, Chair of Urology at Hackensack University Medical Center, Professor and Founding Chair of Urology at Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine, and Director of Robotic Surgery at Hackensack Meridian Health. Whew, that's a long one. That's quite, it is a long one. And I'm missing one, too. Three's plenty for today. <laughs> so before we get started on men's health, I wanted to get to know you a little bit and what brought you to this career and this specialty. That's a great question. Um, it's the people. You know, the people in urology brought me into the field. Either I wanted to do surgery, but most of the surgeons I came across were just not happy. They weren't fun. They didn't seem to be enjoying their life. But urologists, as a general, always seem to be happy, willing to have a beer and go out and have some fun. So I like the people. Once I got into the field, I realized why I like them so much because these are people in urology are really special. Every day we deal with very difficult problems, very sensitive problems, problems with urinary function, problems with sexual function. And you got to have a certain personality to elicit that information from patients and to be able to be able to talk to them. And I think it's that personality that goes into urology and those are sort of those are my people. Yeah, and to almost make them feel comfortable talking about those yeah, those difficult things. Yeah, you got to be able to meet them where they are. You can't be very professorial sometimes when they're talking about, you know, when they wake up in the morning and there's urine in their bed, you know, you got to be able to meet them there. So um, I enjoy that. I think that's a lot of fun. I like to think of myself as somewhat of an extrovert, a people person, and this was a great field for me to take that sort of fun part of who I am and combine it with the science and the ability to do really, really cool surgery. Let's talk about some of those cool surgery things. So similarly, like urologists are just fun and sort of down-to-earth people. We also have a reputation for being innovators. and. If you look across the surgical field, most of the innovation, it comes initially with urologists. So robotic surgery is a great example. Um, We were the pioneers and leaders in robotic surgery. We are currently the pioneers and leaders in what's called single port robotic surgery. And that is super cool because we make a tiny incision, like an inch, and we place four instruments through it that are robotically controlled and we can basically do anything in the body to fix you or remove things and do stuff and you get to go home the same day. Others are now catching on and sort of following our lead. Little scopes that we're able to place in really deep parts of your body, minimally invasively, urologists are the best at that. And you know, the GI doctors and the ENT folks, they sort of take our lead and a lot of the advances that we've worked on and then reapply them. So urologists are fun, they're um, innovative, and we do really cool surgery. So you were talking a little bit about robotic surgery, and I, I want to reiterate something, that you are doing the surgery with the robot. A lot of people, I feel like, think that you're like out of the room and the robot's doing the surgery on them. 
I think you're, yeah, that is, you know, less and less of a, that perception now. I think when I first started doing this in 2002, 2003, people were like, so you're going to like have a cappuccino and you're going to just <laughs> walk out of the room and let them do it. And I'm like, not quite. So we call it robotic surgery because they're literally robotic arms that, you know, are attached to little tubes that go in your body. And we hook up instruments to the, these robotic arms. The surgeon, though, controls the robotic arms. The surgeon controls the instruments. But because they are robotic, they allow the surgeon a lot of benefits, right? Mm -hmm. So one benefit is there are four arms, and the surgeon only has two. So now the surgeon has become a forearm surgeon. Another really cool benefit is that the instruments that are attached to these robotic arms, they move like the human wrist, and they're really small. And they're able to get into very tiny spaces and be really delicate and really precise, even better than the human hand. So you get forearms and dexterity that can, is much better than you and I could ever really have using just regular surgical instruments. So those are some of the things that are beneficial from robotics, including the visualization and some of the other um, visual characteristics that we're able to utilize and, and um, actually I can go on, on and on about this. So okay. I'll stop here. But <laughs> yes, the answer is the surgeon does the surgery themselves. The robotics is just enhances who we are and what we can do and provides better surgery for us. All right. I'm switching gears. Common issues when it comes to men's health. Men is <laughs> probably the most common issue when it comes to men's health. Yeah. Why are they the biggest barrier? You know, it's... I think myself as a surgeon, as a in medicine, I too am that same way. Going to my annual physical, I'm like, oh, I really got to do this. Going to get my lab drawn, I, I sit there and I worry like, oh, what's it going to show? What's going to happen? And I so I think men, um, again, it's a generalization, but I do think there's a couple of issues. Some of the issue is I, I've, I've heard and seen referred to as like the Superman complex. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're a man, you're in your 50s, you're in your 60s, you have a family, you're working, you take care of your family, you take care of work, you sort of try to, you know, carry the the world on your shoulders and you feel you're sort of invincible. And so going to a physician, you kind of lose that invincibility. You know, you, you lose that. And so there's that idea like, well, I really want to go and here because look at me, I'm doing everything I need to do. I feel great. I'm invincible. So that's part of it. I think men just don't like going to doctors. There was a survey down at Cleveland. It was really interesting. They asked the men, would you rather go to the doctor or do chores such as cleaning the toilet? And 67% of men said they'd rather clean the toilet than go to the doctor. <laughs> I can't believe that. Um, and I think the third thing is there's, again, it's generalization. So it's not everybody. But I think a lot of men don't open up. Um, about their feelings necessarily don't open up about their health so much mm -hmm. whereas women tend to do that more um, you know when I need to go to find a good doctor my wife will go to a chat room where her friends are and they'll open up about stuff I don't think there's those chat rooms so much with men and so I think those three issues um, really hinder the men from going to see the doctor and what I'm really here to tell you is we're not looking to give bad news, right, as physicians. I would hope not. No, we, we're not looking for badness. We're looking to keep you healthy. 
And so if you're listening, go to the doctor, get checked out because the truth is the quicker we find things, the quicker we can intervene and often we can prevent a problem. I did want to talk a little bit about some common men's health issues, such as their prostate or testicular cancer and things like yeah. that. Where did you want to start? I mean, I think there's a lot of issues that can occur with men. Um, I think prostate, to me, I break it down into two issues, right? One is just the the symptoms that come along with having an enlarged prostate or having prostate issues. Uh, the term we typically use is lower urinary tract symptoms. Um, going to the bathroom a lot, having frequency, sometimes you know urinating on yourself, having incontinence, um, not being able to urinate, waking up at night to urinate. All those things affect men and have to do often, not always, but often with the prostate. If you are experiencing those symptoms, you gotta get it checked out. You know, it's I know, oh, I can live with it. I know where the bathroom is on the way to work. I know how to manage it. It's not that big of a deal. But again, if you don't get it checked out early, it can turn into something much bigger than it needs to be. Or it's something that you could probably yeah. cure or fix. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I had a patient, um, young guy, like 65, 70 years old. And he comes to me and he's like, well, it's been going on for like 15 years. I'm like, okay, <laughs> um, that's a long time. You know, why don't you do anything? He's like, oh, I knew where to find the bathroom. And when I go to Central Park, I can tell you exactly where I needed to go. You know, I always, you know, made sure I didn't do this or didn't do that to make sure I was able to get to the bathroom or I would limit my fluid intake. And by the time he got to me, his bladder was so full with urine, it was hurting his kidneys. And he just ignored it, you know, and it became almost like a silent problem. Mm -hmm. And it turned into a much bigger issue than it had to be. So um, get it checked out, you know. Most of the time it's nothing. Sometimes it's just a pill that you have to take. Every once in a while it's a procedure. But the quicker we can address it and fix it, um, and the quicker we can give you the warning signs of when it gets to a dangerous situation, the better off you're going to be. The second issue with prostate is cancer. And, you know, I think prostate cancer has a bad name, right? Because it's a scary, anytime you hear the word cancer, right? You're mm -hmm. sort of freaking out. Like, yeah. okay, that's not good. And I think a lot of the time when we talk about prostate cancer, it was very binary. Like people are like, oh my God, I have prostate cancer and I have to get my prostate out. That's not, I don't want that because there's a lot of bad things that can be associated with it. And one of the things I really want to communicate to you and, and to whoever's listening, it's not that way anymore. That, you know, prostate cancer is a spectrum of diseases. And in fact, about 20 to 5% of the cancers we find, we don't even have to do anything for. We just leave alone. And we, you know, do what we call active surveillance. We also have new techniques now and, and new technology. We don't have to remove the prostate or radiate the whole prostate. We can actually just treat where that little cancer is in the prostate and leave the rest alone. And even when you need that radiation or you need that surgery, our technology and the techniques that we've uh, created over the last 20 years is completely different than what your father went through. Okay, and we could be much more precise with radiation now and much more minimize that collateral damage. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, when we have to do robotic surgery, at least here at Hackensack University Medical Center, many of those surgeries are done through a one-inch incision that doesn't ever enter the abdomen, that's really, really precise, and gets you home the same day often, if not the next day. 
So um, it's nothing to be scared about. And it's something that you really want to make sure that you address. Because unfortunately, despite all these advances, we still have people dying of prostate cancer. And our hope, you know, as urologists and as, as cancer surgeons, and is to make that a never event. Not to let, get people to the point where they're going to die of prostate cancer. And why do you think that men, you know, hold off? Is there is there a reason why they hold off? Is there, you know, because couldn't they... Couldn't you live without a prostate? You can, absolutely can. There's a great line a friend of mine once told me. The antidote to anxiety is clarity. And I think there's so much anxiety with men about getting treated for prostate cancer. They hear stories from their dad or from their maybe from a friend who had it five or ten years ago. Or they read books about it. Um, and there's a sense that as soon as you get treated for prostate cancer, you're going to lose your, lose your, your manhood. You're not going to be able to have an erection. You're not, you're going to be peeing all over yourself. You're going to be wearing diapers. And so they say, oh my God, if, if I don't know it's there, then I don't have to get treated. And if I don't have to get treated, I'm not going to have to have all these terrible side effects. Mm -hmm. But the truth is those side effects are really, really rare now and very uncommon. And, you know, incontinence erectile dysfunction are are super are much rarer than they were before and even when they do occur in the occasional patient we have great ways to treat it so i think that fear is unfounded mm -hmm. and hopefully by you know coming to our website here at hackensack university medical center and the aua or and others you know you can get more information about the disease um, you can talk to your doctor about it and you, you can relieve that some of that anxiety because we can give you a lot more clarity. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned a little bit about recovery, how you're yeah. in and out in one day. Mm -hmm. Any pain, any side effects, anything like that? You know, the truth is, I tell all my patients, the first week stinks. There's just no way around it. The first week after almost any surgery, it's a hip surgery, it's gallbladder surgery, it's prostate surgery, it just stinks, okay? You've been under anesthesia, you're a little groggy from that. You've had some incision made in your body. Maybe it's in the navel. Maybe it's in the hip. If you're doing hip surgery, you're having some incision. There's going to be some incisional pain. Um, sometimes you have to walk around with a catheter for uh, you know five to seven days. All of those, and plus the anxiety of having mm -hmm. surgery, all of those things make the first week after surgery not great. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be in the hospital for a week. You'll be home. You'll be walking around, you'll be showering, you'll be eating and doing all those normal things, but you're probably not going to feel ready to go to work. And like a light switch, after that first week is over, everything gets better. And I tell my patients, by the second week, you'll be driving, you can go to work. Most patients can, depending if they're, unless they're like really in, have to lift heavy things. You'll be able to at least work from home and Zoom. You'll be able to go out and have lunch with your friends. You know, you'll be able to do stuff. And by a month after surgery, Almost all our patients say, I didn't feel like it even happened. You know, it's really from an energy level, from a pain, from the ability to move around and do stuff, it's it's all gone. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you're going to go home the same day and everything's perfect. That's not the truth. You're going to go home and it's going to be a pretty stinky first week. But after that, everything will get better. And that's and the, the goal. Yeah. And in the grand scheme of things, a week is not that much. Exactly. Exactly. Testicular cancer. Oh, scary word. Another scary right? word. Almost scarier than prostate cancer. Almost. Um, so the amazing thing about testicular cancer is we've gotten so good at treating testicular cancer 
and that the survival rate from that is approaching in the high 90 percentile so even though it's like a really scary word oh my god i've got testicular cancer we can treat that and the key though with testicular cancer is really finding it early and the key of doing that is, is self-exams. I know that sounds a little weird to talk about on a podcast, but it's <laughs> actually really straightforward to do. Most men can do it just when they're showering. You can go online. There's plenty of resources to teach you how to do it. And if you feel something abnormal, it's super easy to diagnose. It's, it's basically a bunch of blood tests and an ultrasound. And that's it. And once we have that information and we're armed with that, we can treat you. Now... I'll be very transparent. You know, most people with testicular cancer will have to remove that testicle where the cancer is. Okay, well, you got another one. God gave us two, and then for a reason. So we lose one, we got the other one. That one testicle, can it does everything that two will do. You can have children with it. You'll have testosterone. You'll have all the normal things that you need to do. So it's not as if oh my gosh, if I lose one, I'm half the man I used to be. That's not the scenario. That's not the case. You're still fully functional all around. And because we, um, we once we remove that, we get all that information we need to figure out how to treat you. And there's like, two types of testicular cancer, and it's non-seminomas, germ cell tumors, seminomas. It doesn't really matter. What matters is it's treatable, it's curable in you know high 90s percentile. And um, again, it's an area of expertise here at Hackensack Marine Health that we do that a lot of. But just like everything else, the key is, is the earlier you find it, the easier it is to treat. Is there any sort of symptoms that men should be aware of? You know, um, A, enlarging testicle, right? Like if your testicle starts to look bigger than it was before, that's a pretty good symptom. If there's something hard that you feel um, or painful, that could be a symptom. So anything that's, you know, those are pretty important things to us men. And so any time you find that there's some pain or so them swelling or some enlargement, get it checked out. Just don't be like, ah, it's probably nothing. It's really easy to figure out. Like I said, it's a few blood tests. It's an ultrasound. It's an exam by an experienced urologist, and we can take care of it. And often it's nothing. Often it's just like an infection. We just give you some antibiotics. But if it's more, at least we know early. Those are the main symptoms that you would start with. Very rarely do men present more advanced where they have weight loss or bone pain or abdominal pain. Those things are typically really rare. It's just you notice some pain, discomfort, and swelling in that area. And also symptoms for prostate cancer. I don't think we spoke about those. There aren't a lot, right? The, the truth is that prostate cancer, if you screen based on our guidelines, and you get examined once a year, 90% or more of the patients we pick up are picked up without any symptoms at all. Um, because it's really just an abnormal blood test or an abnormal exam that drives us to start looking for the problem. So if you don't screen and you ignore it, then you can have a, the symptoms, and those symptoms are typically when the cancer is more advanced, when it's spread to the bone or into the lymph nodes, or it started to block the, we call the urethra, the bladder. Mm -hmm. And those symptoms can be difficult with urination, blood in the urine, weight loss, bone pain. But there should be ever be a scenario, or very rarely a scenario where you have that, 
if you are going to your doctor annually, getting checked out, and making sure you're doing the right things. That's why we have screening. Screening is there to help you identify the problem as early as can be, to give you all the information that you need to know so that we can either treat you or follow you based on your disease. I mean, or, their, or lack thereof, hopefully. Right, right. And it just sounds like ultimately all of these different things, you know, common men's health issues really stem back to that annual screening. Yeah. That annual appointment with your doctor. Yeah, I, it, it really does. And I am, um, I'm, I'm charged guilt, as guilty. I am charged as guilty. I have a doctor. I don't like going to her. Okay, I don't like getting my blood drawn. It creates anxiety for me every time. And I'm someone in the healthcare profession. I can only imagine someone who isn't in the healthcare profession, who doesn't have the information. They're probably even more anxious to go. But if there's one thing you get out of today, it's just do it. You know, just go. Um, and if you're a woman listening to this or you're a wife listening to this, take your husband, take your loved one, go with them. I will tell you, it's very hard not to go if your partner's taking you there, um, either you know, man or woman. If you have a partner and they're engaged and you're listening to this podcast, how am I going to get my partner to do this, my husband or my partner to do this? Just make the appointment for them and go with them. Don't even tell them, say, we're taking off, we're going to see the doctor, we're going to have lunch after. Yeah, make, it, make it a day. Make it a day. Absolutely. Definitely. I did want to talk about risk factors. Yes. So what are some of those risk factors for prostate cancer and for testicular cancer that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, uh, great question. So I hear I hear this question all the time. Like what sure. are, there's really two parts of this question, right? One is what are the risk factors for prostate cancer? And the other is what can I do right. to prevent prostate cancer or testicular cancer? Because testicular cancer is relatively you know, orphan disease in some ways that we don't see it a lot. It's, it's not a common cancer we see. Um, we don't know as much about it. And so there's some hereditary risk factors for testicular cancer, we believe. But other than that, we don't have great information of what causes testicular cancer. Prostate cancer is a little bit more studied because it's the second, uh, it's the most common men's cancer. And mm -hmm. I think the second most common cause of death in men is prostate cancer. At least it was when I last checked. So there we know more information. So risk factors. Number one, genetics. Like most things in healthcare, mm -hmm. your genes do matter. And um, if your parents, uh, your father had prostate cancer, if your mother had breast cancer, that could be associated with it. Ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer in your family, all of those different cancers actually can be associated with prostate cancer. So that's a risk factor. Um, I think our diet, the Western diet, is a risk factor. Um, high fatty foods, obesity, um, those are risk factors. And if you go to countries like Japan, they don't see a lot of prostate cancer. They see a different type of cancer, but not prostate. And it has to, I think, a lot with that um, environmental um, and food, what you bring into you. I think th those are certain risk factors. So if you were to ask me, what could I do to avoid this? You really can't change who your mom and dad are, so you're sort of stuck with that. So you just got to make sure that you, if you can, understand what your diseases your mom and dad, your uncles and cousins had, because if you had any of those, you may be at an increased risk for prostate cancer. And the second thing you do is, 
healthy choices, right? And that is staying away from fatty foods, not having a BMI over 31, exercising daily absolutely helps and has been shown to decrease the risk of prostate cancer, getting eight hours of sleep when possible, and just taking care of yourself. Those things, among all the things we can offer you, would be the best things to help with prostate cancer. And also, it's going to help you through life. Just be a happier, healthier person. Yeah, it'll help with everything. I love yeah. all the cancers, all the cancers, all the diseases. Yes, just work out, eat right, stay healthy, and do some mindful meditation. Yes, and one thing we actually did not talk about was when should men start getting these screenings? Wow, that's loaded gun. Okay, so there is a fair amount of controversy there, and unfortunately, that controversy about twenty years, about ten years ago has led to some unnecessary increased risks of prostate cancer recently. Hmm. Um, maybe it's another podcast we can talk about. <laughs> so, But to answer the question shortly, um, 55, no risk factors. You should absolutely start screening at 55. Some recommend 50, but minimum fi- at age 55, you should start screening. If you have risk factors or you're African-American male, we recommend starting much earlier about 40. So again, it depends upon what guideline you look at, the AUA guideline, the American Cancer Guideline, the NCCN guideline, the European guidelines. Everyone has a little bit of different take on it, but basically in your 50s, you should be getting checked. Now the nice thing is, and we're learning, is that if your PSA is like super, super low when you first get checked, you may not need to get checked every single year. But if it's a certain level, that's gonna increase your risk. So that first test, getting it early, really helps us figure out at an early stage like what where your risk is in the future so again don't wait until 60 oh he said 55 i'll just it doesn't matter it actually does so minimum i would start at 55 but risks probably start earlier and it's so easy to get screened so easy to do it like waiting doesn't even make sense it doesn't make with so many things though right that's true but as we all get busy in life and we all sort of lose focus uh, on ourselves and we put so much energy to our loved ones, it's not, we can understand why it's hard and why it takes you know, effort to do it. But the most important thing is, most important person is you and you gotta take care of yourself. And if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your loved ones. So for that reason, if none other, go get screened. Thank you so much for talking with us today, Dr. Stifelman. My pleasure. If you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org backslash podcast. Your suggestion could be included in the You Asked For It special episodes. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.